Hey guys, welcome to Unaborted with Seth Gruber. Thanks for tuning in today. Thanks for checking out the show. If you've been benefiting from the show, if you like this, if this helps and equips you to defend life and engage the culture, or if it's your first time checking us out, please give this show a rating and review. It really helps. Scroll to the bottom, give us five stars, let us know what you think. It really helps, especially leading up to this election season when life must win on the ballot. We have a special episode for you today. This is a conversation with my new friend, Heidi St. John. You'll remember from last week, I played you my speech at Comeback California, a live digital event that happened at Calvary Chapel Chino Hills. Well, Heidi St. John was one of the speakers there. She's an influencer, a homeschool mom, a speaker, and she gets people off the bench. Her podcast is called Off the Bench or Get Off the Bench and just encouraging Christians to do that and to engage the culture. So we have a lot in common. We talk about everything going on in the country right now, all things pertaining to life, the vacancy on the Supreme Court, the importance that it's filled with a pro-life individual, and so much more. More. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, everybody. How are you guys doing? I hope you guys are doing great. Today is Friday, October the 2nd, and it's Meet My Friend Friday. You guys know that I love to have people on the show who are out there in the culture making a difference for the gospel, and today I've got a special treat for you. Seth Gruber is here with me today, and we're going to have an awesome conversation about what it means right now to stand for life in the culture. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. I was privileged to meet Seth for the first time in uh, at Calvary Chapel. You guys remember I did uh, come back California. What a ride that was. I told my husband later that was like the Olympics of my speaking career because you have to get out in front of an audience that's not actually there. And I hate that as a general rule. And I was watching Seth because he went before me, you know, it's kind of like you know, everybody's walking the plank. And I watched him and I was like, dude, that guy's on fire. Uh, and he is on fire because God has given him a passion for the unborn. Seth is the West Coast Director of Life Training Institute, which is an elite team of pro-life speakers. They equip and train students and Christian leaders basically to be persuasive and uh, gracious on behalf of the unborn. And I loved his message at Comeback California. I'm so thrilled he's here. Seth Gruber, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks, Heidi. I like that uh, meet, meet My Friend Fridays. That's, that's good. It's good. It's good to be on here with you. <laughs> It's fun to have you. We've been uh, doing, We, you know, you're going to fit right in. We've got awesome guests who have been on the show with me before, and all of them are uh, passionate about something, and you really are passionate about defending the unborn, which is, oh my goodness, so needed in the culture today. But before I jump into all the questions I have for you, uh, tell everybody, because this is your first time on my show. I can't even believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to tell everybody kind of where you guys are in California. Hey, mm-hmm. hey. Yeah. And uh, you've got you've got one child and one on the way. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, my wife and I have been married for just over four years. Our mothers were actually roommates in college. Uh, so that's how we got to know each other. That's um, awesome. Awesome story. Yeah, grew up in different states, but then, you know, connected when we were older. So um, yeah, we have, uh, we have a son. His name is Cedar. Um, Cedar Justice, a uh, nice strong name that we felt God gave us. That he'll be, is. He'll be three on Christmas. Um, so he was born Christmas morning. And then we have a baby due in December, and that well, that'll be a girl. So uh, we just we decided uh, that uh, we were going to embrace the uh, the bigotry 
of two genders and, uh, and determined <laughs> that she was a girl. So that, there you go. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, I grew up in, in LA County. I was homeschooled through eighth grade, actually. So uh, love all that you're doing on that front. So important now more than I think ever before. And, yeah. then, and that was kind of the come back California theme, wasn't it? I mean, just trying to wake people up to say, hey, your kids are actually being indoctrinated in the public schools right now. That's that's exactly right. Yeah. And we've seen evidence of that. Right. We There was, uh, you know, how the left sometimes uh, sort of let's let's reality slip and exactly, you know, that's a quiet part out loud. And we, we've seen that from some teachers and unions across our uh, districts, rather across the country who do not want parents to be allowed in their children's own room while the child is uh, tuned into the virtual classroom because they don't want them to hear exactly what they're teaching and what they're saying. That's right. Um, and anyways, that's a whole nother conversation. But It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, I, I grew up um, in a Christian home, in a Christian family. I was homeschooled, of course. And I, I very much grew up in pro-life waters, if you will, as well. I've kind of been swimming in these waters for a long time. And I like to say that I began my pro-life um, activism um, as a fetus, <laughs> if you will. My mother was actually directing a pregnancy resource center in Azusa, California, in LA County, when she was pregnant with me. She became the director of that clinic uh, in her late 20s and then stepped wow. down in her early 30s when she had me. So I was, I was doing little backflips in the womb while my mom was uh, saving babies and uh, ministering to, mm-hmm. to women. And That's family. an amazing legacy. Yeah, yeah, I'm very grateful for it. So then mm-hmm. I went to public high school, did my senior project on abortion. I'm going to give you kind of your listeners just a flyover here. Um, and my, my high school, Whittier High School, which is Nixon's actually alma mater in L.A. County, Whittier's a suburb there. And they told me, well, Seth, you can't pick the topic of abortion. Um, that's on our, our banned topic lists for, for seniors. Oh, for um, goodness sake. Yeah, yeah. So guess what? I, I threatened a lawsuit. I was, I was 17, 18 years <laughs> old. And I said, you can't do that. Right. This this is the benefit of being homeschooled, right? I actually know my freedoms. Right. I have a sense of liberty. I know um, the purpose of government. And so uh so they kind of they weren't expecting that, right? They were like, uh, what? <laughs> and uh, and I got no backlash from the school after that. In fact, my freshman year at college, I went back to my, my high school's website and I went to go download that senior project guidelines list of the topics you can't pick. And guess what? It wasn't there anymore. Um, <laughs> so I did that. And then I had to do volunteer hours at a somewhere that associated with your topic selection, right? So I had picked abortion. So I ended up volunteering for a pro-life organization in Orange County that I later was a paid intern with during my college years and that my mother sat on the board of directors on in the, in the, uh, late 80s, early 90s. And the first thing they had me do, Heidi, was to scan 300 images, ready, of first trimester aborted children. Now, I often say that that pro-life Christians know abortion is bad, but they don't know how bad, right? Pro-lifers know abortion is bad, but many of them have never seen it. And I often tell pro-choice students, I say, guys, it's easy to be pro-choice when you've never had to look at what that choice looks like. Right. And so the unborn is not only the greatest bleeding victim in America, Heidi, but they're also the most hidden victim. Right. That's not to say there's not other hidden victims and horrific things that happen in sex trafficking and whatnot. Absolutely. But I'm just saying the unborn is the greatest um, bleeding victim and the most hidden victim. Right. We kill a million of them a year and it's happening in a womb designed to hold them that nobody else sees but the abortionist. And so staring at that, Heidi, for two days straight as I scanned them on their high quality scanner and categorize them in their database was really the turning point of my life after choosing to follow Jesus. And I knew that I could not not do anything, right? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who fought his own genocidal country, said not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act. 
God will not hold us guiltless, right? So there's, there's no such thing as moral neutrality on the slaughter of baby image bearers. And so I went to Westmont College, Christian College in Santa Barbara, California. We can get into that. It's a joke of a Christian college now. But I I was just going to say, I'm pretty sure they signed on to the Christian Statement of Science and Pandemic Times. But yeah, let's get back to it. Yeah, unbelievable. So I I founded, Heidi, the first and only pro-life club at Westmont College. There had never been one before, right? So And I I affiliated with Students for Life, who, who I now do some, I do speaking with, I do training for them. Um, excellent organization, but I, I was a Students for Life, um, I guess, you know, chapter member, and I started the chapter there at Westmont College. Well, I learned very quickly that my alma mater did not take a position on abortion. So if you go to Westmont College, whose motto, you ready? Whose motto is Christus Prumatum Tenens. What does that mean? It means Christ preeminent in all things. Christ preeminent in all things. Apparently, Heidi, mm-hmm. not the prenatal Christ. Um, you right. see, they take right. a position on the biblical view of marriage and the biblical view of a sexual ethic. And if you violate those guidelines as a student at Westmont College, so if you're sleeping around, right, um, then you can be kicked out of the college. But if you sleep around and create a new human being and they kill that human being, apparently Westmont has nothing to say about that. And so I had asked Westmont to bring this educational display from that organization that I used to intern with to Westmont that does contain graphic imagery. I, I petitioned as a club president to do that three times, three years in a row, freshman, sophomore, junior year. Every year they said no. So my junior year, I said, forget this. And I stood on campus by myself with smaller handheld signs. Now, typically I wouldn't do that. I didn't want to do that. But I was convinced that Westmont was hiding the horror of abortion from students. I talked to people in science classes and philosophy classes. And I knew that if the topic did come up, it came up tangentially. And the professor didn't say, you know, this is wrong. We as Christians have to understand about the value of life. These are image bearers of God. It's wrong to intentionally kill innocent human beings. No, it's your classic academic gray area. We want to welcome all positions. And so that's amazing. long story short, the president of the college ends up sitting down with me. He's very angry because I went on national radio broadcasting conservative media content who covered what I did. And he's getting bad PR from people all around the country. And I told him, you need to take a position on abortion, Dr. Gail Beebe, who still sits as the president there. Why don't you take a position on abortion? And Heidi, he looked me in the face and he said, well, Seth, there are a lot of issues and you can't expect us to take a position on all of them. So creating a moral equivalency between slaughtering a million babies a year and I don't know, universal health care. And there's just so many things to talk about. Yeah. I mean, it's slaughtering a million babies a year. You know, we got, there's so many things, so many things. So that's what catapulted me into the, into the pro-life movement was really seeing abortion and then the apathy of our Christian leaders in the church, right? Francis Schaeffer once said that every abortion clinic ought to have a sign out front that says open with the permission of the church of Jesus Christ. And it was encountering that apathy in the institutions, Heidi, that are supposed to be training up the next generation of Christian leaders to be salt and light. Mm -hmm. And they treat it like, ready? Like Christians treated the enslavement of blacks in the 1850s as just, well, we can't take an issue on that. So that's what catapulted me into the pro-life movement. And then that's when I joined Life Training Institute as their West Coast director when I graduated. Well, we're still seeing, it's amazing to me that you, you brought up Westmont because I think there's a lot of people listening to this right now whose kids are going to be coming up, you know, in, into their, their college years here pretty soon. Yep. And I always say, first thing parents need to know is probably it's not a good idea to send your kid to college. Let, right. Let's just start there because the colleges are a joke right now, a particularly liberal universities, liberal arts. But honestly, you can't tell. So let's say the university says they're Christian. That doesn't mean anything anymore. That's right. 
and you're certainly finding this is true at Westmont. Uh, it's certainly true where my husband and I went to Bible college. And I'm I'm interested to know when you encounter students on college campuses, Christian college campuses, what are you typically finding at a university like Westmont, which should have, I mean, they obviously they should be taking a position. What do you find when you when you talk to these students? Do they know about abortion? I'm assuming they grew up in it. Uh, what do you typically find? Yeah. So I do speak in Protestant and Catholic high schools all around the country, and as well as Christian universities, um, secular universities as well. But oftentimes I am speaking to Christian students. And one of the most sobering realities for me, Heidi, in my career, which I've devoted to this cause, has been the how unequipped our young people are to engage in these cultural wars, right? So the, the, yeah. the pro-life movement, Heidi, has never had the church on their side. And the reason we've never had the church on our side is because we've never had the pastors fully on our side, except for people like Jack Hibbs, who's a national treasure, who we all love. The reason we've never had our yep, pastors yep. on our side is because, guess what? We have never, the institutions where they're being educated and trained at, so be that a seminary, right, for higher education, um, a Bible college, or Christian undergraduates, right? Or Christian high mm-hmm. schools, go back all the way to Christian high schools. The place where so many of our Christian leaders were educated from the time they were 14 to 40 um, did very little, if anything, to include very serious, theologically robust training on how to think about abortion and how to engage. Meanwhile, the other side, Heidi, is doing all that they can to equip the next generation to think about exactly abortion right. as reproductive yep. justice, as Julian Castro, that ridiculous presidential failed uh, candidate, said, right? Reproductive yep. justice, reproductive health care. In fact, which he also wanted for uh, transgender. That's right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For transgender, <laughs> which I thought was so amazing. He's like, men, we're yeah. going to give transgender women access to abortion. And I was like, <laughs> right. can you hear yourself? That, like, that was hilarious. Exactly. Oh, and my word. Right. So he said, he said reproductive justice, right? And so, anyways, but this type right. of euphemistic bigotry is par for the course for the left. And they are so committed to reaching the next generation. They understand that the fight ready for the future of America is the fight over the current generation. And, and yep. churches have just lost that understanding, you know, but, 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 but yet we're called to what, not just make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but what, and then teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. <laughs> and, and so, and then yeah. Jesus in his brilliance in the New Testament goes, oh, by the way, let me summarize all that I have commanded for you. All the law and the prophets hang on these two. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. So if the unborn is our neighbor, then they have to be included in the class of human beings that we're called to protect. And the unborn is the only class of human beings that it is currently legal to kill. But that Mm. type of training theologically is not happening in our major institutions. And to go back to your question, Heidi, I know this because I go to these schools. And you want to know the number one responses? I want your listeners to really understand the importance of this. And hopefully it's it's a wake-up call for all of us, too. I I love it. So get off the bench, right? Is that the, the number one thing these schools tell me, ready? These are Protestant and Catholic high schools. They tell me, our students said that they had never been given the responses and tools to defend their pro-life beliefs before, or something like, this was the first talk that I ever heard on how to defend my pro-life beliefs, or this was the first pro-life speaker our high school has ever had. (laughs) I mean, it's just shocking. And sometimes they've had the local Mm -hmm. pregnancy resource center, and that is beautiful, and that's important, and they should. But usually they're talking about the clinic services and what they do for women, whereas I'm talking about why everyone should be pro-life 
why the pro-life position is true and reasonable to believe, and why the pro-choice position and worldview is just another form of bigotry. As, as Scott Klusendorf, my boss, once said, we used to discriminate on the basis of skin color and ethnicity in our country, um, and we still do at times. But today with elective abortion, we discriminate on the basis of size, level of development, mm. location, and dependency. We've simply swapped one form of bigotry for another. So I articulate those ideas to young people, and they've never heard it before. So then we are losing our kids before they get to college. So then when they mm -hmm. encounter these bad ideas in college, they crumble and they're not prepared and they embrace flowery sounding ideas, right? This is the idea of euphemism. This is why they call abortion reproductive health care. That all sounds great, but it reflects a much deeper and sinister worldview. So we have got to get involved. We've got to equip our young people and we've got to start preaching the full counsel of God from our pulpits yes. before all generations, but particularly the posterity of our country. Well, and you and I were talking about this when you were in uh, California with me at Comeback California, just this idea of of what the truth is being really veiled from our pulpits and not, we are not teaching the whole counsel of God. And in fact, what happens is so many times you don't see, I mean, they might, maybe there's sanctity of life Sunday. Okay. So we mm -hmm. have sanctity of life Sunday and we say, Hey, 40 days for life. Right. And we invite the people to come in from the pregnancy resource centers. They should be talking about this every single Sunday in the churches say, Hey, what are you guys doing to Amen. speak for those who cannot speak for themselves? And instead what we see is cowardice in the pulpits. Instead, what we see is pastors who said, Oh no, that's political. And it's not yeah. political. And and actually, for goodness sake, even if it was political, I'd be like, hey, how about we start talking about policy? That's not a bad idea, right? That's right. Amen. Thank you, Heidi. And you know, you know what? I, I'm so glad you brought this up um, because I, I think I think we should talk about this right now. You're probably aware of Tim Keller's recent comments on the Christian and his or her involvement in politics. Um, yes, because, you should. I don't have it in front of me, but you should quote him if you've got it, because oh, that will. was that was unbelievable. <laughs> oh, I will. Yes. And and for those of your listeners who tuned in to hear you at Comeback California, if they tuned in early, they would have caught my message where I talked exactly about this. But listen, before I say this, like for your listeners, like I love Tim Keller. Okay, He's done incredible things for the proclamation of the gospel. He's been called the C.S. Lewis of the 21st century. I have some bones to pick with him, but I, I would I would never have. I guess, lambasted him in the way that I am now because, because he went too far, right? Now he's, now he's attacking first principles, um, such as the right to life. And while he'll pay lip service to the pro-life movement, he'll turn around and stab unborn children in the back. Not literally, of course, okay, but figuratively. Um, and so mm -hmm. Tim Keller um, just came out on Facebook. We're talking like two weeks ago. This happened like three days yeah. before the Comeback California event. Right. <laughs> so I, I adjusted right. the intro to my talk because I said this. I was going to say that gave you like yeah. an extra 15 minutes exactly. to talk about. I was like, this is a <laughs> bombshell and I have to include this. And so he goes on Facebook and here's what he says, Heidi. He says, he says, you know, the Bible, um, there's a whole bunch of things that the Bible doesn't speak to, right? The Bible tells me to love the immigrant, but it doesn't tell me how many legal immigrants to let into the U.S. each year, right? And he uses some other examples. And what he's trying to say is he's trying to say, um, you know, we can understand the the sort of the core spiritual nature of an issue, but like the, the Bible doesn't like tell us how to address those issues. And so therefore, you know, there's broad room for disagreement and and in and how we address certain issues. But then he gets to abortion in his in his Facebook post. And he says, he says, the Bible tells me that abortion is wrong and a great evil, but it doesn't tell me the best way to decrease or end abortions. He says, uh, the current political parties offer a potpourri 
of different positions on this, meaning abortion, and many, many other issues, many of which the Bible does not speak to directly. So then he says, when it comes to politics, the Christian has, ready, quote, liberty of conscience, right? Oh, that made my head explode. Liberty of conscience. Ah. And then he, he, he goes on to say that, uh, that Christians cannot say to other Christians, no Christian can vote for, or every Christian must vote for. And then he says, unless you can find a biblical command to that effect. Now, for my full treatment of this issue, uh, your listeners can check out my podcast, Unaborted with Seth Gruber. My episode on Monday of this week was literally called, ready, What Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Pastor Tim Keller Have in Common. Um, very edgy title, but I, I think I make a pretty good case for what, what that commonality point is. And so for the yeah. full treatment of this, your listeners can check out that episode. But um, I responded saying, well, no, actually, Tim, we can, we can tell Christians who to vote for and not vote for when it comes to first principles, when it comes to life itself. So what he's essentially saying is that political parties are created equal because he, he said you have liberty of conscience. And so when it comes, when it comes to policies, when it comes to voting, when it comes to political affiliation, he says the Christian has liberty of conscience. So what are we to take from that? I guess Keller would have actually defended the liberty of Christians in 1850 America to vote for the Democratic Party, which was the party of slavery and the KKK, because brother, brother, the Bible doesn't tell us the best policies yeah, to end slavery. That's right. I, guess, I don't see anything in the. I don't see anything in there on the KKK. I mean, Jesus didn't talk about it. Exactly. So you guys are, you know, yeah. so you're free to choose. Right. Wild, right? Yeah. Liberty of conscience. And so then, then someone might say, right. And I just, I just wrote an article on this, but someone might say, well, you know, Seth, come on, you can't compare those. Like, yeah, abortion's not great, but that was different, right? No, it's not different because abortion is wrong for the same reasons that slavery was wrong. It dehumanized image bearers of God while legalizing their slaughter or mistreatment. They're wrong for the same reasons. And, mm-hmm. and so, therefore, because they're wrong for the same reasons, right, and because we have human equality, which begins when we're human, and when do we become human? The moment of conception. And so because of that, yep. you should be on board with the same type of policy prescriptions and solutions, political solutions, to end abortion that you would obviously be on board with for addressing slavery. And the, the irony gets even better, Heidi. It's unreal. He wrote, Tim Keller wrote a piece in the New York Times a couple of years ago that gets shared every um, sort of local congressional election season. It's called, How Do Christians Fit Into a Two-Party System? They don't. That's the name of the article. And people just eat it up because they're like, yes, the gospel is not Republican. The gospel is not Democrat. Mm. Of course, that's true. But then he moves from that premise to defend political neutrality on abortion. But in that article, he lambasts, he, he destroys the Christians in the 1850s America who did nothing on slavery. In fact, in that article, Heidi, he literally says, this is unreal. He's, he says that, to, that when Christians were refusing to be political in the 1850s, they were actually supporting the status social quo, the social status quo, which was slavery. And then he says to not be political is to be political. So he's actually, he was attacking the apathy of Christians during slavery in America for refusing to get involved politically to protect their black image bearers of God. So... Well, is your head exploding yet? <laughs> well, what it is, it's it's the hypocrisy and he he is on the left, all right? So, and I've mentioned this several times uh on my podcast. Okay. Uh, Tim Keller is not politically neutral. He is a progressive. And uh, to me, and I've said this before and I know it makes people upset, but I there it's incompatible. Like the Democrat platform incompatible with Christianity. If you're if you're going to be pro-choice, please for the love, don't call yourself a Christian. At least don't do it publicly. That's right. 
And I believe that what uh, Tim Keller is doing through the Gospel Coalition, uh, especially in the middle of the Rona, all these things that he's taken several positions recently. If you haven't checked out uh, that statement on science and pandemic times, Seth, you've got to check it out. It's amazing. I mean, it's just this twisting of scripture. So basically they give this whole, you know, this, this apologetic for why Jesus would wear a mask. So it basically says, you know, therefore, because of my faith in Jesus, I will get a vaccine. Therefore, wow. and then they, they list scripture. It is such a wrong wow. application and it is so wrong headed. It borders on heresy. Wild. And when I see uh, Tim Keller, who really is the engine, and I, I agree with you. I've had a lot. I mean, I love a lot of what Tim Keller has written. I, I own several of his books. Um, we have watched him for years and been very encouraged. But in the last probably five years, I feel like he's really gone off the rails exactly uh, right. in terms of policy. And I don't know if it's like, he lives in New York City and it's starting to like melt his brain. Right. I don't actually know what's going on. Yeah. But I think Christians who are discerning, you know, just because, and we see this with Christian women teachers right now. I mean, I'm not going to, but I could sit here for 15 minutes and, and oh, list yeah. about 10 of them right off the top of my head. Yep. Who I'm just like, warning to. sign. Yeah, warning, 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 danger, danger. And just because somebody was solid in the past doesn't give them exactly a, right. a pass for the future, Christians need to be Bereans. We need to be discerning. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm, I applaud you for, for uh, calling out uh, Keller because uh, Christians need to do that. I mean, that's what we're called to do, right? As iron sharpens yes. iron. I feel like yeah. uh, somebody's not doing that with Mr. Amen. Keller. I mean, he had, I, I literally refer to it as the wokeification of Tim Keller. I mean, and, and, you know, if this was yes. just, if this was just a disagreement on, you know, like, uh, the role of women in leadership in the church or the practicing of right. gifts, which are important conversations. I'm not saying that like they're yep. not important, but if it was something like that, I wouldn't be lambasting him in the way that I am. But like he, yep. he's attacking yep. first principles and like, oh my gosh, Heidi, you and your listeners, right? Well, this you, is you literally guys, life and death. Yeah. You guys it saw that, that thing, right? Where recently it, it was actually from 2016. It was a panel he sat on, on race in New York city, but it resurfaced yes. and people were sharing it. And he literally said like, well, studies have basically shown that if you have white skin, your life is worth about a million dollars over the course of a lifetime. So you did nothing to deserve this. He says, right. And I played this clip in, in my Monday's episode of, of the show. And, and so then he goes on to say, that even if you didn't play a role in, in, in what he refers to right as systemic racism, of course, he can't name the policy that's in the system, but whatever. He says um, that, right. that you bear responsibility, even if you didn't contribute to the system of evil or do anything to advance it, you're guilty by your skin color and you have a, an, an obligation spiritually. He says, he says, the Bible says that you have an obligation to end it. Okay, so let's not get into a conversation about, you know, whether systemic racism is real or not. Let's just take what he says at face value. If that is true, right? And, and apathy is itself sin, right? And not engaging is itself sin. Even if I didn't contribute to the evil in question, then how in the... <laughs> How in the world oh, can he just... defend political neutrality of the Christian on abortion, which is actual systemic evil, right? It's actually a mm-hmm. system and institution built around the legalization and state-sanctioned slaughter of a million image bearers a year. And you want to talk about systemic racism, a study by Protecting Black Life found that 80% of Planned Parenthood's surgical abortion facilities are located within walking distance of majority black neighborhoods. And the Planned Parenthood mm-hmm kills more black lives in two weeks than the KKK lynched in a century, fulfilling Margaret Sanger's dream of less black people. And over 340,000 unarmed black lives are murdered through abortion every year. Meanwhile, 15 unarmed black men 
were shot in 2019 by the police, according to the Washington Post, and unarmed does not mean not dangerous. So by Keller's own standard, if we're responsible for systems of evil that target image bearers of God because we're called to love our neighbor, even if we didn't contribute to the evil in the first place, then obviously we have a political duty to use the political tools given to us on as we stand on the shoulders of giants who bled and died to give us those political tools, which puts political power in the hands of the people, which makes America so exceptional. So we can use those tools to design the type of society that we want to that protects all human beings. But no, apparently that's lost on Tim Keller, right? The Bible says he wow. who knows the right thing to do, but fails to do it for him. It is sin. And I, yeah. I would make the point that it is the right thing for Christians to use the political tools we've been given that no other country has had like we have, and to use those to restore personhood and legal protections to the unborn. But apparently, uh, I guess the school of wokeness uh, can't acknowledge that fact. So it's very hard. Yeah, the wokeness, the whole, the whole wokeness, it, it make, it's making me crazy. And as you're, you rightly pointed out, you know, we have a responsibility, really, this, the political tools that have been given to us, the very fact that the church has disengaged from politics, that we have disengaged from the policy making process has brought us to the point where we are right now. So we have a weak, we have a weak nation spiritually, definitely morally, uh, it's getting weaker by the minute. And one of the reasons I love of uh, Pastor Jack Hibbs so much is he's one of the very few pastors. You 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 touched on this a few minutes ago, and I kind of want to uh, uh, swing back around to it. He's one of the very few pastors that is actually willing to step into the fray. I thought it was interesting that you pointed out that one of the big weaknesses in the pro-life movement has been the unwillingness of pastors to talk about abortion from the pulpits and to move their people from a position of neutrality and position of apathy to action. And really that's what that's, I mean, that's off the bench. That's what I've spent my lifetime trying to do, but they've also been silent on the issue of education. They're largely silent on the issue of gay marriage, largely silent on the issue of the platforms themselves. And what you hear is, oh, the Johnson Amendment. What you hear is uh, separation of church and state. What you hear is, well, we could lose our 501c3. Well, you know what I started saying a while ago? I'm like, if your 501c3 is going to tie up your tongue, give it back. That's right. Give it back. Because what we've done is we've allowed the government to silence us for money. And that's really what it is. That's exactly right. Yeah, we have, I think, I think America's, many of America's pastors have created an idol out of their, out of their tithers, right? And so if you address yes. certain issues, you know, you might lose uh, a, a decent portion of your tithing, particularly if you're Tim Keller in New York City, where probably massive numbers of attendees are registered Democrats. You can't, you can't yeah. demand that they adopt political responsibility, which flows from their spiritual responsibility to love our neighbors, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. And as Proverbs 24 says, hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you have mm-hmm. the political option to use the political tools you've been given to hold back unborn children from staggering towards slaughter and speak mm-hmm. up for them, then you should do that. That is the right thing. So that's what that's what was my message to Tim Keller is actually, Tim, we can tell our brothers and sisters, how to vote and not vote. Um, and I think, I think mm-hmm. those Bible verses are, are right there. You know, if, if you don't well, use Well, and we voice, have an obligation. Yeah. yeah. It isn't as simple as, uh, you know, the church just wants to sit back and say, hey, we're just going to be neutral on this because, you know, the gospel. I just, it, it makes me feel a little on the queasy side whenever I hear uh, Christian leaders encourage people who they have 
influenced with. And that is the shame of this, right? It is that uh, Pastor Tim Keller and so many other pastors have been given by God an incredible opportunity to influence uh, the hearts and minds of people to actually be able to make a difference. And instead, what we've done is we've silenced them. We've What we've done is we've trained our churches toward apathy right. and away from politics. And uh, I think, you know, as I, I was talking to uh, some of the speakers back in the green room at, at Comeback California, I think I told you this too. It was such a a thrill for me to be around people of faith, people who love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and aren't afraid to actually get out into the culture and say, our faith should impact the culture. And if the culture is impacting our faith, something is wrong. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying Heidi and I's conversation on life and everything happening right now. It's so important. Really thank you for listening. Share this episode with someone you love or someone whose mind you want changed on the issue of abortion. Listen, if you want to help us reach more people, if you've benefited from what I've talked about on this show, why everyone should be pro-life, why it's true and reasonable to be pro-life, and why it's dangerous and silly to be pro-choice, why it's a position of historical bigotry that says not all humans are persons. If you want to help us reach more people with those ideas to change minds, change hearts, and save lives. Consider becoming a patron of the show by going to patreon.com forward slash unaborted. Check out all of our tiers and the perks that you get with those tiers to connect further with me, to get more equipping, more content, and just more poured into you so that you can be out there in the culture being a bold voice for life. That's why I do this podcast is for you. And if you want to help us reach more people, consider becoming a patron of the show. Thank you so much. Be right back. When you talk to people about how to defend their position, so let's say there's a lot of people listening to this. I mean, there's probably 100,000 people going to download this podcast in a couple of days. So if you're, you have an opportunity to say, to, to teach just a little bit, to say here, uh, you know, the person who's like, I, I want to be able to articulate my belief, but I just feel like I stumble at it. I feel like mm-hmm. I say something and then I get shut down really fast and then I don't have a comeback. What What are some just basic, basic, basic uh, principles for someone who is wanting to learn how their faith can become a faith that speaks in the area, particularly of abortion? Amen. Yeah, that's so good. What a good word, Heidi. Thank you for saying all that. Um, yes, let's go over the case for life. Okay, this is what I do full time. I equip and encourage Christians to engage the culture for life and give them the tools of thought to do it effectively, graciously, and persuasively. So how do we defend our pro-life beliefs? And right, and how can we do it without just citing exclusively Bible verses to make our case, right? We're going to talk about that, but that's not going to persuade the pro-choice atheist, right, who rejects the Christian worldview. So, that's right. So I break down the, the case for life, the pro-life position, and frankly, why everyone should be pro-life into three basic questions. The first is what is the unborn? And this is the most fundamental question in the abortion debate, right? As, as Greg Kokel eloquently uh, paints a picture for us, he asks us to imagine for a second that we're standing at our kitchen sink cleaning dishes one evening. And as we're standing there cleaning our dishes, um, our three-year-old toddler walks up behind us, Heidi. And your three-year-old toddler says, um, Mommy, can I kill this? Now, what would be the first question out of your mouth, Heidi, in response to your toddler's question, can I kill this? 
a kill what? Kill what? Right? Exactly. <laughs> what is it? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Because if, if you yeah. turn around and is it a spider? Right, Absolutely. It's, exactly. Right. Yeah. If it's a cockroach, you know, maybe maybe Heidi yeah. says, uh, you know, here, son, here's a hammer. <laughs> you know, have fun. That's right. But exactly. If it's the neighbor kitty. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm hoping we'd have a different reply, unless you know your family are vindictive cat haters, in which case, no judgment. <laughs> But uh, if you turn around and he's holding his little sister by the throat, uh, you need counseling, right? Yeah, so you, you're right. You can't exactly. actually answer the question, can I kill this, until you answer the question, what is it? The same is true on the issue of abortion. So that's what I would first encourage your listeners with. That's the most fundamental question. And listen, it is not – the burden of proof is not on you guys – to answer that question. Now I'm going to give you the tools to answer that and do so very effectively. But the the burden of proof is not on you. If I claim um, uh, these people over here are okay to kill, the burden of proof is on me to prove that they're not humans because otherwise it's always wrong to intentionally kill innocent humans. So actually in conversations, you're list- I want you guys to, to force that question back onto the, your pro-choice friend and say, you're the one saying we can kill whatever's in the womb. You need to prove that that's not a human being with equal rights. So that's the most fundamental question. How do we answer the question, what is the unborn? Okay, well, we answer it in two ways. We answer it scientifically and we answer it philosophically. We answer it scientifically by looking to the science of embryology, which has given us all we need to know about life in the womb for literally decades. So the science of embryology teaches us this, you guys. It teaches us that from the moment of conception, there is a distinct living and whole human being. Okay. I'm merely summarizing the best uh, embryology textbooks we have on literally every university campus. Okay, what does distinct mean? Well, we know what that means. It means unique, right? It, it means separate. It means that you're not me and I'm not you. It means that that means that Heidi St. John will never exist again. There's only one of you, and that is how God made it. So if, if the unborn child is distinct, what does that mean for the abortion debate? Ready? It means that the body in her body is not her body. <laughs> it means yep, that that's a yep, distinct yep. human being. And this makes sense because we know that pregnant women do not have 20 fingers and 20 toes, two brains, two hearts, two different DNA codes, potentially two different blood types existing simultaneously. Oh, and what happens if she's pregnant with a boy? <laughs> pregnant women do not have right. male genitalia, while the left would like to tell you they do. So they're distinct. Right, right. <laughs> Secondly, they're living. What does that mean? It means dead things don't grow, and it means the baby meets all of the requirements for a living thing that we learned in high school biology. It also means that the baby is directing his or her own internal growth from within. And you know this. I know this. My wife never woke me up in the middle of the night saying, Seth, come here. Um, remind our baby to grow. Come whisper to my womb. We don't want her to forget. Yeah. Because unborn right. children actually direct their own growth from within, independent of the wishes of their mother. So they're mm. living. And thirdly, the science teaches us, Heidi, that the unborn child is whole. And this is very important. Wholeness does not mean development. Wholeness has nothing to do with capacities or functions. Here's what it means to be a whole human being. It means that you have everything you need to realize your full growth and development as a participating member of the human species. Let me, let me simplify this for your listeners. I'm 29 and I'm not 40. Now, Heidi, my wife recently found out that men don't reach their mental peak until their 40s. Um, and she was strangely very encouraged by that. I, I was sort of offended. I, I think she's like holding out hope for me or something. But so I haven't actually realized my full uh, mental development. Look at that. I, there are aspects of my development I have not realized yet. Similarly, mm-hmm. the unborn child has not realized their full level of development. 
But it doesn't mean that they're not a whole human being at the moment of conception, just like it doesn't mean that I'm not a whole human being now at 29. So we all find ourselves on a different tick mark on the continuum of human development. But when did that continuum begin? The moment of conception. So that's what it means to be Mm -hmm. a distinct living and whole human being. And that answers the question, what is the unborn? So that's the, that's the first thing that I would equip your listeners to answer well. Now, unfortunately, what the pro-choice individual will do now, okay, they're going to pivot. They're going to pivot and say, okay, pro-lifer, <laughs> okay, it's a human. And because the science is so overwhelming, right? They look really foolish if they won't admit that it's biologically human. But this is a strategy. And, and I know this because I literally encounter this every day. They're going to pivot and they're going to say, okay, it's a human, but it is not a person. Now, hopefully your listeners at this point are going, wait, isn't that what racists said about blacks? Isn't that what Nazis said about Jews? That would be the correct historical response to have, you guys, because the practitioners of genocide always separate the term human from person in order to justify in their mind the mistreatment of the victim class that they have a vested interest in killing or mistreating. Every time the term human from person has been separated, disastrous consequences have followed. Um, And certainly nowhere is that more true than the issue of abortion. Now, they're going to say that by saying, well, the unborn is so different from us, right? They'll grant it's a human, but they'll say, look at how different it is. Like, only a rube would argue that there's any human equality between the mother Mm -hmm. and the fetus. But here's the thing, you guys. The unborn child differs from us in the same ways that we differ from one another. So any argument offered in justification of killing unborn human beings can be offered in justification of killing born human beings. So the way that you make your argument from personhood and human equality between the fetus, the unborn baby, and the mother is by pointing out that whatever differences the pro-choice advocate uses to justify abortion can also be used to justify killing born people. And those differences are summarized in the acronym SLED, S-L-E-D. That stands for size, level of development, environment or location, and dependency. And so very briefly, the unborn child is smaller than newborn child, but newborn children are smaller than toddlers. The unborn child is less developed than the newborn child, but newborn children are less developed than teenagers. The unborn child is located in a womb in a different environment, but where one is has no bearing on who one is. The womb was designed for the child, and a six-inch journey down the birth canal does not magically confer personhood. And the unborn child is more dependent, but it is, it is in virtue of being an unborn human being to be dependent on your mother. That dependency doesn't stop after birth. If a woman refused to breastfeed her child and said, my breasts, my choice, my body, my choice, and her child died, she would be charged with infanticide. If we can kill unborn babies for being dependent on their mothers, can we kill born people for being dependent on caretakers, heart pacemakers, kidney machines, insulin, life support? Like the child in the womb, they are dependent on someone or something else without which they cannot continue to live. So those are the only four differences that the pro-choice advocate will point to to justify abortion. But because the unborn child differs from us in the same ways that we differ from one another, any argument for abortion Mm -hmm. is actually putting in place the premises that will justify the pro-choicer's own enslavement because we differ from one another in the same ways the child differs from us. So anyways, that is the case from science. That is the case from philosophy. So notice I've made a scientific case answering the question, what is it? And I made a philosophical case answering, is it valuable? Does it have the same rights as born people? And I've done it without citing Bible verses to make my case, but I'm communicating biblical truth nonetheless. 
Yeah. And I think for the more the more that uh, we can train people how to do this, how to have these conversations, I think we're going to see more and more people. I, I mean, I don't know. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but I kind of feel like the wind is at the back of the pro-life movement right now. I feel like uh, I, I meet more and more young people who are committed to pro-life more ever before, because in the 80s, this wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. I would say it wasn't the case in the 90s either, but I'm starting to see more people take a stand for life. And I guess when I when I'm hearing you talking, the only thing that sticks out in my head, because, you know, like you, I live in the wackadoo, you know, Pacific, <laughs> Pacific coast region. And so, sometimes you, you just cannot, you cannot reason with the unreasonable. Like you, you know, when I keep thinking, boy, I, I was thinking of a conversation I had with a, with a woman, a pro-choice woman years ago, and I just could not reason with her. You can't reason there, there does come a point and I think it's okay for people to hear this. I think there comes a point we have to we shake the dust off your feet and go, okay, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna leave leave this one with the Lord, because you can't reason. And instead of scaring the people, you know, scaring young people from uh, engaging in the conversation, I think it's good to say you're gonna there's gonna be some people you talk to, you're gonna beat your head against a wall, and you're gonna be like, what do you? I mean, I saw uh, Caitlin Bennett on a college campus. Boy, I'll tell you what, that woman. Uh, I saw her on a college campus a few weeks ago, and she was talking to a woman. Who basically, so Caitlin just made the exact same arguments you did, you know, your baby, you know, you don't have, you know, 20 fingers and 20 toes and all the things this is not your body. She totally convinced her, okay, now I look stupid because it's a life. Okay. Okay. It's a life. And then this woman just in an absolute rage, and this is how you know it's demonic, right? She said, I don't care. And that was really the end of it. And actually that's what it all boils down to at the end of the day. Right. And when you can, when you can be presented with truth and presented with facts and the philosophical argument makes sense, you have to come face to face with your own indifference. And what we want here more than anything is for the church, for the believers uh, in Christ to not be indifferent. And uh, that that apathy is uh, sin. It is sin when we're talking about apathy toward the unborn, when we don't speak on behalf of those who cannot speak for themselves. And I so appreciate that you have, uh, and really even for your generation, we were talking before the show that you're like my daughter's age. And I was like, shoot fire. That makes me feel, that makes me feel old, but it also gives me so much hope and so much, um, encouragement because I do believe that uh, people like you are going to make a difference. And even though, and I want to touch really quickly on the Supreme court, even though I don't believe I, I think it, I think best case scenario in the Supreme Court is they kick it back to the states, which is where it should have been in the first place. Uh, but I think for young people to just be like, hey, we're going to start having these conversations. I so appreciate what you're doing. Let's do this really quick, Seth. Yeah. Let's, um, in the few minutes we have left, talk to me about the Supreme Court. Um, Amy Coney Barrett, obviously, mother of seven. You and I were talking about this before we started <laughs> yeah. recording. Uh, what's your thoughts on her um on our confirmation, the possibility of our confirmation. Yeah, yeah, this is very important, right? I'm very glad you brought this up because this is a politically propitious moment. And, the, and, and that's why it is time for us to follow your lead and get off the bench. Christians have to get involved, right? Not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act. God will not hold us guiltless, yeah. right? Proverbs 24 says, which I mentioned earlier, hold back those staggering towards slaughter. But the next part of it in verse 12 says, and if you say, we did not know about this, right? It's, it's literally talking about the slaughter of innocents. If you say, we, we did not know about this, does not he who uh, made your life know it? Does not he who sees your heart know it? And will he not judge man according to what he has done? So it's saying like, if you pretend to not know when you really know, you're going to be judged for that. 
That's, <laughs> That's right. what Proverbs 24 That's is right. saying. And, and, that just, and then Bonhoeffer re-echoed that, of course, um, in the 1940s. And so this, uh, it, this is not optional. We have to get involved. And this is more true now than ever before because of the politically propitious moment that we have been given to us, probably providentially, um, to really get involved in this fight. And so Ruth Bader Ginsburg, right, rabid ageist bigot, who, who voted that it's okay yep. to suck the brains out of children after you stab them in the back of the neck while their feet are flailing out of the birth canal and their head is still inside the vaginal canal. Yep. Um, yep. That, is, that is her legacy. That's her legacy. And every Christian, every Christian, and I, I did a whole thing on her last week, and I said, you know, we, we just put the flags at half staff for Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Who's going to do it for the 60 million babies right. whose death she was complicit in? That's right. Uh, it's a shame. It's a shame that churches aren't talking about that. That's exactly right, Heidi. I, wrote, I just have a piece on my blog at SethGruber.com called um, How Should We Remember Ruth Bader Ginsburg's Legacy? Exactly how we remember Roger B. Taney's. And he was the one who authored the Dred Scott decision, which said blacks aren't persons, right? And and that even if Mm -hmm. a slave owner takes their slave to a free state, they remain a slave. Why? Because they're a piece of property. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg believed that unborn children were a piece of property as well. So um, Mm -hmm. how do we remember her legacy as bigotry, right? And I don't want to hear people tell me about what she accomplished for born women. Your your advancements for the civil rights of born women mean nothing if you sanction the slaughter of unborn women. And and then people said, oh, she she made it to the highest court in the land. Yeah, she wasn't the first one. Okay, we already had a woman Mm -hmm. on the Supreme Court. Uh, it was Sotomayor, mm-hmm. so a woman who had already gone yep, on the yep, court before yep. her. So it's not like she was breaking a glass ceiling or anything. It had already been broken. Why do they deify her, Heidi? Because she protected abortion. She was seen as the apologist for abortion and as this sort of leftist seawall against what they perceive to be, um, you know, Trump instituting some type of like, you know, religious uh, oligarchy by taking away the right to kill their own children. So this has opened mm-hmm. up the spot on the Supreme Court. And of course, Amy Coney Barrett is this Catholic mom of seven, two of whom she adopted from Haiti. And already the accusations are coming of her being sort of a white supremacist colonizer who adopted right, black right, children. Right, right, right. Colonizer. Yeah. I love, I heard that yesterday and I was like, oh, that's yeah. right. Ibra, Ibra, She's from a colonizer. Ibram Kendi, from Ibram Kendi, that, that racist fraud who says yeah. that he's an anti-racist. Um, but, and he says yes. that by saying that all white people suck. Um, and so, yep, so that, yep, so Amy yep. Coney Barrett is incredible. She has, she clerked for Scalia. She says publicly that she has her jurisprudence, right? Her judicial philosophy is of Scalia. That's originalism. That's treating the constitution. Constitutionalist. That's right. Yep. That means treating the constitution, um, in very same way that you, that Christians treat the Bible, <laughs> right? Is, is you're interpreting it yep. for its original context and what it meant at the time. And so I yep. think she does present this this amazing opportunity. I'm a little bit more skeptical of the court than some pro-life individuals. I am not confident that even after her appointment, that we have enough votes to overturn Roe versus Wade. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. Yeah, so I yeah. think we need at least one, probably two more, unfortunately. Um, mm-hmm. And John Roberts is a coward. He's he's betrayed unborn it children is. and What's conservatism over I and over it. again. I- um, so Christians yeah. have to get off the bench and we have to get involved. We have to make sure that if for some reason she doesn't get appointed before, um, for January, that she, that, uh, that Trump is reelected. So she is appointed in the second term. And we certainly need to get one or two more justices on the court, right? Remember Breyer, right. Breyer is very old. Um, so, yes. so it is very he's likely in his 80s. he's in his eighties. And I, yeah. And I was thinking that I was trying to, I'm sitting here uh, flipping through my head. Like who's that? It was Sandra Day O'Connor. She was the yes, first woman on the right. Supreme Court. Yes, thank you. Yep. And, uh, and it's interesting, you know, it's interesting to note is we keep having these conversations about uh, the justices 
And just like we're looking, we're looking at these pastors and these women Bible teachers who started out solid and they ended up floppy. Uh, the same thing is true of Justice Roberts. Uh, we're watching. We need to be praying for these people, you know, because they have these decisions that the Supreme Court makes. They impact our nation for generations, yeah. for generations. And, uh, it, and it's uh, all for about the church. It's all about it. Yes, it is. And I think this is why you see the gates of hell unleashed against President Trump. I think this is why you see. I mean, I cannot I did not enjoy the debate. Let me just say (laughs) I watched it with my family and I was just like, oh, my word. It was like, well, it was like President Trump, who was debating uh, Chris Wallace, who was feeding Biden his lines the whole time. And then by calling, you know, President Trump a clown and and President Trump interrupting. And I was like, what kind of garbage is this? It's awful. But then my husband rightly reminded me it's spiritual. Yep. It's spiritual. This is this is war. And if we don't understand that we are in a spiritual war, we need to go back and start reading Ephesians again. We need to start reading our Bibles again because there's nothing that's happening right now that's neutral. Yeah. These attacks against President Trump, uh, not neutral, because the adversary himself, who the Bible says comes to kill, steal, and destroy, wants nothing more than for us to continue to slaughter the unborn. These are babies with souls, by the way, and we need to be talking about it in in those terms. And so, slaughtering, uh, sacrificing babies to improve our life is nothing new. Yes, this is what the Ammonites and the Israelites were doing when they sacrificed their babies to Molech, because they thought that they would get a blessing in return. And so Satan does not care the name of the God that nope. you sacrifice your children to, because we nope. understand that there is Yahweh, one God. So any other idol is actually the manifestation of Satan. He was Molech in the Old Testament, and today he's the pagan gods of convenience, education, yes. money, and career well-being. He doesn't care what God you call him when you sacrifice your children on his altar. As nope. long as you continue nope. to feed children down his throat, he will be satisfied. So this is so yep. spiritual. And not only does abortion poison babies quite literally through the abortion pill, it has also poisoned our politics because it's made mm-hmm. every political moment and decision about abortion. It's made everything about mm-hmm. that. That is why they hate Amy Coney Barrett. That's why they were freaked out with Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, because they knew that a conservative yep. majority represented an opportunity to overturn Roe. Christians turned to God for religion. Leftists turned to politics for religion. So therefore, the institutions of our politics become themselves idols, and abortion is the sacred golden calf of the left. And so they will treat individuals like gods because they protect abortion. This is why there was a whole product line called Notorious RBG, because they treat her like a god because she protects abortion. And if Christians don't understand the spiritual implications of that, they're going to miss this and they're not going to get involved. And for the sake of unborn children, for the sake of life and liberty, we can't afford that. No, and we cannot afford to sit out this election. And I guess that's where I kind of like to leave uh, this podcast today because you've made an incredible case for life, an incredible case for uh, parents and actually just voters getting off the bench and onto the battlefield. Uh, if there was no other no other topic, no other issue on the ballot, it would be enough. That's right. It would be enough for us to say, we are not going to sit this out. And for goodness sake, you guys, if you can go to the polls, go. I I don't, I don't, uh, I mean, for goodness sake, we're worried about the Rona, right? So the Rona is going to keep us from voting. So we're going to have to do mail-in ballots. I know people, Seth, you know, I've got so many people that follow me online. And so they send me pictures, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, things that are happening in their neighborhoods, et cetera, et cetera. I am getting tons of uh, pic- people sending me pictures of um, absentee, 
ballots that they're getting in the mail from states they don't even live in. Gosh, I know. Oh, and just I, wait. I'm they're trying to steal myself. the election. Oh, it's crazy. Yep. It's crazy. And it's spiritual. And people need to wake up. People need to wake up. It's never been more important than it is Amen. right now. And uh, I hope that uh, everybody within the sound of your voice today has been encouraged. I know that I know I have been. I've been uh, taking notes. I wrote down your little sled thing. That was amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, uh, where can people find you? So if you're available, right, you come and you speak, you can yeah. speak at churches and you speak yeah, all over so the country. As we're, How can as we're people talking find you? right now, I'm actually in, in Maine. And I, I, I actually spoke at the Pregnancy Resource Center here in Waterville, Maine last year. And, uh, and we just fell in love with one another, me and the staff at the Pregnancy Resource Center. So they brought me mm. back for a youth and community event um, fr- Friday night, um, tonight, and, uh, as, and then as well as um, some youth events. So I, just, I did a high school this week. I have another Christian high school. I'm preaching at Calvary Chapel, Bangor, um, and then this youth event. And so I speak all around the country. So listen, the number one response I get you guys is, and this is not about me. This is just because God has called me to this. He's, he's given me the tools to make yep. it happen and there's not enough of us. And, and so that's really why, but, no, but the true, number one man. response I get is, is Seth, we need you in every youth group and church in the country. Um, and mm-hmm. I say, amen. Well, how can we make that happen? Right? So, so listen, if you're listening to this and you want me to come to your youth group, your, your, uh, your, your co-op, your Protestant or Catholic high school, your church on a Sunday morning, um, a pregnancy resource center training, a banquet, a conference, Please book me. I I I I give away speaking honorariums at very cheap prices. I, I we will figure out how to make it happen if you can't afford my fee because we need to get the young people equipped. We need to fight for the soul of the country because these are the people, guys, who are going to pick up our political legacy and Hello. they're going to determine whether we continue to slaughter a million babies a year or not. And if we don't invest in that generation, then then this slaughter is going to continue and God's judgment is coming on this country if it's not already. And we need to be faithful. Mm-hmm. And so um, SethGruber.com, that's my website, G-R-U-B as in baby boy, E-R.com, SethGruber.com. My website is unaborted with Seth Gruber. Every Monday, I go for 45 minutes to an hour. Um, every Monday episode, you can watch it on YouTube or you can tune in wherever you listen to podcasts. I have a blog, I write regularly. And of course, I, I speak all around the country. So that's how you guys get in touch with me. I'm most active on Facebook, but I also have an Instagram and Twitter, uh, and Twitter, of course, so... <laughs> So, and I will link back to that in the show notes today. I know people are like, what, where'd I write this stuff down? As always, you guys, you can find information about my guests. Just go to HeidiStJohn.com forward slash podcast, scroll down to this episode, and I will link back to uh, Seth and his information in the show notes today. Seth Gruber, it's been a delight to have you. um, And we will continue just to pray for you. And like I said, I hope you guys can make it up here and check out the Homeschool Resource Center. We'd love to, we'd love to give you a tour. I have a feel (laughs) like we're going to be at some of the same events again in the future. So (laughs) yes, I will look forward to it. Thank you so much. Wow, what a great conversation with Heidi St. John. I hope you enjoyed that. Listen, go subscribe to her podcast at Off the Bench with Heidi St. John. Really important stuff. She does a daily episode, I think, Monday through Friday, and just gets people encouraged, informed, and equipped to engage the culture. We're going to be doing more together in the future, so keep an eye out for that. Listen, if you want to help us reach more people, expand the reach of this show, get me into more schools, consider becoming a patron of the show, or supporting my work at ProLifeTraining.com slash donate. That would really mean a lot. Otherwise, just share this episode with someone. Use this to have a conversation with someone you love and maybe someone whose mind you want change towards life, particularly leading up to this election, which is the most important election for our pre-born neighbors. If you want to connect with me online, head on over to SethGruber.com, S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B as in baby boy, E-R.com to get my newsletter, 
to get more training content, to see my speaking schedule, or to book me for an event. You can also subscribe or listen to this show at iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. We'll be right back.